As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, it's Spooky Boo. So today I bring you another set of stories from October last year that were very popular. I'll be doing this from now on on the weekends, on Saturdays and Sundays, so that you can see how we've changed throughout the years and see the popular programs from the year before. I was going to bring you the Saturday night YouTube live stream, but sometimes there is a tendency for the live stream to time out. And it wouldn't be cool on the podcast. So if you want to see the YouTube live streams on Saturday nights, I do the whole session of podcasts, the new podcasts for the week, and we talk about them. So it's it's a lot of fun. But you can always visit www.youtube.com slash spooky boo scary story time to come and visit me on Saturday nights and we can listen to it and chat. But if you want something that you can just close your eyes and lay back and listen to the sweet sound of my voice... From Sandcastle, California, then listen to the daily podcast. Remember, this is a repeat from last year. Now let's begin. Welcome to Scary Storytime by Spooky Boo, www.scarystorytime.com. I once lived a normal life. I was a groundskeeper at a local cemetery. It wasn't the best job, but hey, it paid the bills. I lived alone in an apartment complex that stood about a mile away from the cemetery in which I worked. I would spend my time writing short stories about my boring life and the days I spent at the cemetery. When I worked... It was usually during the afternoon into twilight hours. I never would have worked at night. That place is creepy as it is. Thank you very much. I stayed far away from it during the night. It was always the same routine. 
show up right at the cemetery, gather my tools and go out to pick up trash and tidy up gravestones until it started to get dark. Then go home and do whatever. Nothing special. This routine continued for a year and a half ever since the day I got the job. Not once did I ever run into anything spooky like you'd see in a cheesy horror movie. There were never any black cats or curses and certainly no zombies crawling out of the ground to eat my brains. However, there was one day that would change my life forever. The day I saw him or rather, it. The day I saw the Slender Man. It started off like any other day. I walked to the cemetery, got my tools, and headed out to pick up the trash. But something felt different that day. It was hard to explain, but I felt as though I was being watched. I would constantly look around nervously, only to find that there was nothing around. The only sounds I heard were birds chirping in the trees and the occasional car that passed by. So I spent the entire day on edge, something in the back of my mind telling me that there was something else with me in that cemetery. At the end of my shift, I headed back to put my tools away for the night. I noticed that the birds were gone and there were no cars passing anymore. Everything was eerily quiet. Just then, I saw what appeared to be a man standing about a hundred feet from me. From what I could see, he was abnormally tall and wore a black suit jacket with a white shirt and black tie. Because it was beginning to get dark, I couldn't see his face very well, so I couldn't tell if he was anyone familiar. I called out to him, but he didn't move. He just stood there like a statue. I began to walk towards him, accidentally dropping my tools along the way. I bent down to pick them up, and when I looked to where the man was, he was gone. There was no sign of him anywhere. I scratched my head and shook it off, thinking that I was just seeing things because I was overworked. I put my tools away and headed home but I walked a little quicker than usual. I was still a little nervous, and questions filled my head. Who was that man? Why did he just stand there? How did he disappear so quickly? Was he real or just a figment of my imagination? That night, I barely slept at all. It was my thoughts that caused my insomnia. The next day at the cemetery, I was even more tense. I felt like if a leaf were to fall on my head, I'd scream in terror. Unfortunately for me, the more tense I got, the more distracted I got from my work. Soon enough, my boss, Jeff, came out to talk to me. Jeff was a good guy. He and my father went way back, and he was the one who gave me the job as groundskeeper in the first place. He and I were also good friends, and he knew that I wasn't acting myself that day. Stephen, what's the matter? He asked me. You seem a little off today. Is something wrong? 
I didn't want to sound like a crazy person, but I knew I could never lie to Jeff, so I told him the truth. I saw something yesterday, Jeff. There was a man in a suit that was just standing in the cemetery. He didn't do anything, and then he just disappeared out of nowhere. It kind of freaked me out. Jeff looked at me like I was crazy. Wait, what did you say this man looked like? I was surprised that he actually somewhat believed my story. He was really tall with a nice suit on. It was too dark, so I couldn't see his face. Jeff rubbed his head and sighed. I don't believe it. I rolled my eyes, thinking that he was talking about my story, but then he continued. I didn't think the legends were true, but what you've explained to me, Stephen, verifies that maybe the Slender Man does exist. Now, I was the one that was confused. Slender Man? What's a Slender Man? I'm not the one you should be asking these questions, Steve. I only know a little bit about him. But I have a friend, James. He knows everything there is to know about the Slender Man. He took out a piece of paper and a pencil and scribbled something down. Handing it to me, he said, This is where he lives. I'll give him a call and I'll tell him what you saw and that you're coming to learn more about Slender Man. Any questions you may have, he'll answer them. I still thought the idea was a little crazy, but I wanted to know exactly what the Slender Man was. That night I did as Jeff suggested and paid a visit to his friend James. As I entered his house, I saw he was already seated at a table with pictures scattered all around. When I walked through the door, James greeted me with a smile. Ah, Stephen, Jeff told me you were coming. Please take a seat. I pulled up a chair to the table and began to observe some of the pictures he had laid out. Jeff told me that you think you saw the Slender Man and that you wanted more info on him. Well, you've come to the right place. I nodded and he began to tell me everything he knew. One thing you should know about the Slender Man, he is not human, James began. We don't know what he is exactly, but we know for sure he isn't human. People who have seen him describe him just as you saw him, but he is sometimes seen with black tentacles emerged from his back. He is a fearsome creature and kills most likely for the fun of it. Now let me give you a little backstory on the Slender Man. One of the first recorded instances of him was back in the mid-1500s in Germany. A woodcut artist by the name of Hans Freckenberg created a piece that displayed a creature that looks not unlike the Slender Man. It was discovered in Hotspur Castle in 1883. Here's what it looks like. He slid one of the pictures over to me, one that depicted a knight dueling with a strange humanoid creature with multiple arms and legs. James continued, Now Hans Freckenberg was known for his realistic depiction of human anatomy. But as you can see in that work, the character on the right has multiple arms and an oddly shaped face. This work differs greatly from all of his other works. I was intrigued at the amount of knowledge that James had, but it wasn't quite finished. He slid another picture over to me. This one showed several children frolicking on a playground, nothing out of the ordinary, except for the fact that a man that looked exactly 
like the one I saw in the cemetery, was standing ominously in the background. Looking at the picture caused chills to race down my spine. Now this here is the first recorded photograph of the Slender Man. You can just see him in the background. According to records, every single child in that photograph disappeared shortly after it was taken. They haven't been seen since. I was astonished. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Jameson passed me a few more modern-looking pictures. Each one seemed like a normal, everyday nature or family photo, but in the background of every one, the same tall man could be seen, looming in the shadows. That's pretty much all you need to know, James concluded. Any questions? I shook my head, still trying to wrap my head around why this thing was looking at me the day I saw him. The Slender Man is a mysterious force, Stephen, James told me. Nobody knows exactly why he does the things he does, whether he does it for sport or if he is a pawn for some higher being. We will never know. Coming to this realization, I knew that I had to do something. I decided that the next day I would find the Slender Man and see for myself what kind of monster he was. I figured he was probably still in the vicinity of the cemetery, so I would hopefully find him and capture him. I wouldn't try that if I were you, James warned. The Slender Man has powers that you wouldn't believe. It's best to just let nature take its course, and whatever you do, don't try to approach him if you sight him. I assured James that I would do no such thing and thanked him for all the information as I left. However, I was still content on attempting to end the Slender Man's reign of terror once and for all. I worked through the next day like it was any other day, but I kept my guard up the whole time, looking for any signs of the Slender Man. There was no sign of him the entire day, but once my shift was over, I put away my tools except for a flashlight and headed over to where I saw him standing just a couple days prior. Like that fateful day, everything was eerily quiet. No birds or cars made any sound. I could sense he was nearby. I approached the area where I first saw him and sat on one of the gravestones, waiting. I knew he would come eventually. After about twenty minutes, I began to give up hope, until I heard rustling coming from the woods that surrounded the cemetery. It was beginning to get darker, and I got a little nervous. I had never been in that area when it was that dark before. It was almost pitch black now, and I only had the moon and my flashlight for light. I gathered up some confidence and walked into the woods, my flashlight shining through the darkness. I followed the rustling sound through the woods, and it began to get louder and louder. It grew closer and closer, and my heart began to race. Sweat formed on my brow, and my hands shook as I tried to hold the flashlight steady. Show yourself, I ordered as loudly as I could. Suddenly, from out of the brush of the woods came a squirrel. I let out a deep sigh of relief as the squirrel stared at me for a few seconds, then it took off running away from me. I thought nothing of it. It was a squirrel after all. They're usually afraid of their own shadow. I turned around and it felt like I walked into a brick wall. I fell hard to the ground and dropped my flashlight. I couldn't see much, 
but I could see the outline of a figure illuminated by the full moon. I stumbled around like a madman grabbing for the flashlight. I found it and shined it on the figure. I started at its legs and moved the light up its body. When I hit its torso, I saw that it was wearing a suit and tie. I swear I felt my heart stop for a moment. I shined the light up at its face and gasped in horror at what I saw. This creature had no face. It looked like an empty canvas. No hair, no face, no nothing. Just a pale white head looking down at me, as if it knew I was there. He must have been at least nine or ten feet tall. I stumbled to my feet and I felt two hands grasp my neck. I began to panic as my heart raced faster and faster, my breathing getting heavy. The creature pulled me closer and raised me up so my head was level with his. I stared into where his face should have been and he tilted his head as if he were observing me. I could barely breathe as his grasp grew tighter around my neck. I struggled furiously and suddenly several black tentacles emerged from the creature's back. I knew this was the end. I was about to become another victim of the Slender Man. He raised one of his tentacles and I braced myself for the end. However, I heard a faint bark of dogs and a few men calling my name. The creature turned its head towards the noise and then back to me. He took the raised tentacle and wrapped it around my forearm. A burning pain shot through my entire arm and I winced in pain. If that thing's hands hadn't been cutting off my air supply, I would have screamed bloody murder. The pain was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. The creature dropped me to the ground and stood above me for a few seconds. I looked up to it and I swear he nodded to me before fading into the surrounding darkness. I gasped for breath as the men found me. Jeff was with them. Stephen, what the hell happened here? We heard you yelling, so we came to find out what was wrong. With what little energy I had left, I let out a whisper, barely audible. It was the Slender Man. Then everything went black. When I awoke, I found myself in a hospital bed, my neck and forearms still in pain. Once I regained complete consciousness, I looked down at my forearm and saw that there was a black mark where the Slender Man had wrapped his tentacle around me. I stared at it for a few minutes, trying to contemplate why it had spared my life and left me with just a black mark. Before I had a chance to think anymore, Jeff and James came into my room, Jeff carrying my laptop. How are you feeling, Steve? Jeff asked me. Still in a little bit of pain, I replied. The doctors say I should be out in a couple days, maybe even tomorrow. I warned you not to approach him, James shook his head. I figured he would be a little upset with me. I know, I really wish I had listened to you, I apologized. He put his hand on my shoulder in comfort. It's alright, I know how you feel. You wanted to get an up-close and personal view of the Slender Man. Who wouldn't? I'm just surprised he let you live. I was just as surprised. Had it not been for the men calling my name, I probably wouldn't have gotten so lucky. Soon later, Jeff handed me my laptop. Why'd you bring this? I asked him. Because you need to tell your story, he replied. The story about how you met and survived the Slender Man. I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to hear about it. 
But who's to say anyone will believe it? I asked skeptically. James smiled and put his hand on my shoulder. Stephen, for every skeptic there is a believer. I'm sure someone out there will believe it. Hell, maybe there's someone who's had an experience just like yours. Now get some rest before you start writing. You'll need it. The two started to walk away until I called to them. Hey guys, why do you think he left me with this? I showed them the black mark on my arm and James rubbed his chin. No idea. I've never heard of any reported cases of that happening. Maybe since you were lucky enough to survive, he gave it to you as something to remember him by. He smiled and the two walked out of my room. I chuckled to myself at the thought, but then I realized that maybe that wasn't so crazy of an idea after all. I opened my laptop and began writing the story. My story. The story of my experience with the Slender Man. If I learned anything from that ordeal, it's that we may never know who or what the Slender Man is exactly and where he's going to show up next. But I give you this warning to you, dear reader. Beware the Slender Man, for the Slender Man watches us all. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Was this Slender Man? An anonymous email sent to Spooky Boo. We live deep in the woods of West Central Wisconsin. If you know anything about the area, then you will know the woods look a lot like the trees in the Blair Witch Project. In the winter, they are tall and bare of leaves, but during the summer nights, they are thick with vegetation. I enjoy taking walks in the snow at night through the woods. It is really peaceful out there, and I can get a lot of my stressful day out of my mind. Normally, I run across deer or an occasional black bear. I've seen coyote and wolves before as well. Usually, it's just really quiet because most animals leave before I even get near. That doesn't stop the owls from hooting and the other creepy noises you hear because it is so quiet and nestled away from the main highway. Usually, there is a lot of this, what I like to call nature chatter. But that night, it was eerily quiet. I thought it might be the snowstorm that was going to blow through the area, but that wasn't supposed to happen for a few days. 
That night there was nothing. No owls, no scuttles through the bushes, nothing. The moon was still low and rising through the woods. It put this haunting glow through the branches. Since the leaves of the trees were still pretty fresh on the ground, they created a mist of fog about three feet high. You know when you look into the horizon and the fog seems taller than normal? At first, that is what I thought I was looking at. Right there in the light of the moon was this tree I had never noticed before. It was tall and slender like the others, but it looked darker. Most of our wood here is white wood, and this was dark. Or maybe it was the shadow from the moon. I grew curious as I stepped closer to the tree. Its branches seemed to be moving even though there was no wind. They moved up and down like something was climbing up them. I thought maybe I could get a glimpse of a bear getting ready for hibernation, so I kept walking toward the tree. The mist grew thicker as I got closer, something that wasn't normal unless a lake was nearby. I knew there was no lake around. Something was generating a lot of heat in the ground. Between the cold mist and the freaky dense air around me, I started to get really creeped out. My skin was crawling like mad. This should have been a sign to leave, but I just couldn't stop. I wanted to see. Something was driving my mind to know what was wrong with that tree. As I stepped closer, the cold wrapped itself around me like a thin sheet of ice. My legs felt frozen and didn't want to move. I don't know if it was pure fear or if the cold was taking over my body. I realized I had lost my beanie hat somewhere on a branch, so my head was extremely cold. My fingers, although covered in wool and leather, were numb cold, yet still movable. How long had I been like this? I was frozen, but not from the cold, it was fear. The tree was closer now. I don't know what happened. I hadn't moved, but it just did. It was gliding toward me. The branches no longer looked like branches, of the arms of an octopus that moved with snake-like ability as it encroached upon me. The tree was suddenly towering over me and I fell down on my ass as one of the branches pushed into my chest. The force of the fall pushed me to my senses. I rolled over and I tried real hard to get up, but my feet kept slipping on the ice. I felt tentacles upon my back as one foot braced against a rock and spurred me into a run across the ice. I slid about fifty feet and fell again and looked toward the woods as the wind was knocked out of me. It was gone. I breathed in slowly and felt the thickness of the air leave. The fog had dissipated and suddenly I heard the howl of a coyote. Then a deer ran across the path in front of me. Had I blacked out from the cold and imagined everything? It was so real that I don't even walk in the woods anymore. I never want to see or feel like that again. Another creepy thing that happened that night, a little girl went missing from her bedroom. The cops blamed the parents because there were no break-ins into the house. Maybe she just walked off or something, but they couldn't find any footprints. And they couldn't prove anything because she was never found.
and no evidence pointed toward them, but people still talk. If what I saw was real, it wasn't the parents. It was Slender Man. Orwin, North Carolina, is a small town located just south of the state line with Virginia. The population of Orwin proper is 2,037, with another 200 or so people living in the area around the town. Close by, the town of Roan Valley is much larger, with a population of roughly 10,000, not counting students at the regional Roan Valley University. Most people have never heard of Orwin, and those who have generally don't think of it as the sort of place where the events of March 14, 2008 could have taken place. Orwin is anywhere USA, a peaceful little slice of Americana where farm kids drive around in Ford trucks, Grandma still cooks apple pie, and the biggest news story is usually related to the performance of the high school football team in state competition where, in 2007, it made the finals. Still, that doesn't change the horrifying reality of what happened there. And even though the scars are healing and life is slowly returning to normalcy, no amount of time will ever wash all of the blood from the field near the Olberson Homestead Farm. The story of what happened in Orwin is as complicated as it is terrifying, but most sources seem to agree that the first report of anything unusual occurring in the still unaware community came into the Orwin Police Department late in the evening at 7.34 p.m. Two elderly women driving four miles outside of town on a rural back road called in to tell the police that they had seen something strange in the forest across a grassy field. When asked to describe what they had seen, they told the officer on the phone that it was something large, but indistinct because of the branches obscuring their line of sight. The police decided that the situation was probably nothing to worry about and did not send anyone out to investigate what the elderly women had seen. The next calls came in just before sunset at 7.53 and 7.55 p.m. They came in from a farmer who was doing late work feeding his livestock and from a young man coming out of the woods after a solo hiking trip, respectively. The latter described what he saw as a black animal moving through the trees by the hiking trail. Like the two elderly women, he did not offer a detailed description of the animal but seemed to believe that it was very large and felt horrified by what he had seen. He said in a later interview that he had run out of the forest scared that the animal might follow him or that there might be others. The farmer described a scene similar to that viewed by the elderly women, saying that he had seen something in the forest across the field from his farm. It had apparently bothered his livestock, however, particularly the goats, which seemed terrified and did not sleep throughout the night. More sightings came in before nightfall, with an increasing frequency until calls were coming in to the small town's police station every few minutes. Some of them came from people who were absolutely terrified by what they had seen. One woman, alone in her house, said that she had heard something brush against the wall outside of her kitchen and had gone to the window over to the sink to see what looked like black leathery skin pass by. 
She stayed on the line with the police until her husband arrived, then went with him to a motel for the night, too scared to go back to her house. At eight o'clock, the sun didn't take very long to sink beneath the horizon outside Orwin. And then things took a disturbing turn. Whatever was in the forest seemed to get more active at night, and so did another very human force living inside of the town. At 8.36, driving along a dark highway between Rhone Valley and Orwin, a group of college students in an SUV saw a sight in their headlights which completely dumbfounded them. A cloister of around eight men dressed in black robes crossed the road in front of them, forcing them to stop. One of the men, according to all of the students, paused to look at the SUV before going on. The young man got a good look at the individual, which helped to identify him later as Gregory Santiago, a prominent banker and respected member of the community. Behind the robed man, the college students reported seeing something else cross the road, presumably one of the animals which others had been encountering. They described it as being larger than an elephant, with six legs and pitch black skin. They stated that, although they could not see far above the tops of its legs, they believed the animal to be at least 40 feet tall, with pointed spines or possibly tentacles sticking out of its back and pointing up toward the sky. They did not describe the animal as having eyes, but they stated that it did have faces covering its flanks, five in all, one of which had a large mouth opened in a permanent scream. The students drove into town, arrived at 8.53, after two other people independently reported sightings of similar animals in the fields around Orwin. None of the other reports came in that night, were as detailed as the students' account, however, nor were any of them quite as baffling or horrifying in light of later events. It was at 11.47 that the occurrences in Orwin ceased to be simply strange and turned into something much worse. Eight and a half miles outside Orwin, Janet and Neil Oberson, along with their six-year-old daughter Natasha, experienced a nightmare which none of us can ever really imagine. A group of invaders broke into their home, shattering the window in their living room, and shot Neil Olberson dead. These murderous intruders were later discovered to be the same eight men who the Rhone Valley University students had seen crossing the road and were found to be members of a cult called the Sacred Arm of Cal Uhunlat. After killing Neil Olberson, the three cultists who broke into the home later identified as Nathan Henson, Daniel Walker, and his brother Norm Walker, took Janet and Natasha Olberson hostage, dragging them outside of the house and into the field behind. There, both were tied to a rocky outcrop near the forest and surrounded by the ring of eight men. The eight cultists chanted loudly, calling out to the stars in the clear sky high above, and bellowing for their goddess to come and accept her new sacrifice. What happened next is a matter of contention and controversy. Those who tend to believe the account of Natasha Olberson, who was given two weeks later after the child went through intensive psychotherapy, something simply unimaginable came out of the forest and took her mother. 
The description of the horror is different from the description of the monster seen earlier. It was much larger and, according to Natasha, very squid-like. She claimed to be able to see the head of the creature extending roughly 120 feet over the trees. Mouths, eyes, and tentacles covered its entire body, along with ropey strands of flesh, which it used to pull itself across the earth. Natasha told investigators in the case that she had turned away after the monster took her mother, but that she had believed it killed her. Investigators later stated that, although they could not accept her testimony on the grounds that she was likely suffering from intense psychological trauma, the basics about the event were correct. Her father and mother had both been killed by eight men, all of whom had been members of an occult group. Before the eight men could be located and brought to trial, however, they were all vanished off the radar or were found to have committed ritual suicide. Two are believed to have fled to Mexico following the incident, while the whereabouts of the three others are not known. All three of the men who broke into the Olberson house are presently known to be dead. It was in their homes that the relics related to the cult of Cal-U-Hamlet were found, tying the obscure, almost unknown group to the horrible crime. Natasha Olberson is currently in foster care and is living in an unknown location under the arm of the Witness Protection Program. Other than her account of those other witnesses from that day of March 2008, there is almost no evidence that anything out of the ordinary occurred in Orwin. Time will pass, but the bones of Janet and Neil Olberson will always be interred in the local cemetery beneath two lonely marble markers, testaments to a nightmare which no one can imagine, but which no one can forget. Did you know that we've mapped more of the surface of Mars than our very own oceans? How has our curiosity driven us to space travel, but not to explore the most perplexing mystery that lies on our very own planet? I've explored much of our waters myself, mapping and documenting our oceans and seas. I have learned that we are better off just to leave what lies below the waves alone. I grew up by the ocean. In my youth, I loved to explore the tide pools and the sea caves that dotted the east coast. I loved to see the life interacting with each other, crabs scuttling away when a big fish swam by or an octopus camouflaging itself, undetectable until its prey made the fatal mistake of getting too close. The sea was always just so interesting to me. When I turned 13, my father bought me a cheap scuba set off the internet. It only allowed for 20-minute excursions underwater, but man, if I didn't cherish it, I would dive at least twice a day blowing all of my allowance on air tank Phillips and footage for my underwater camera. Most of my childhood was spent under the sea. As I grew, my interest for the water developed from a hobby into a full-fledged career. I received my degree in marine biology with the highest marks in my class and was almost immediately hired by the Poseidon Foundation. Poseidon was a great place to work. 
I got to travel the globe, documenting new species and reclassifying the old ones. Here I met new people who shared my passion for the waters on Earth and discovering what dwells within them. I was a model employee. My data never had mistakes and was never once late. I quickly rose through the ranks until I was the right-hand man of the CEO, Barry Henderson. He was an amazing man with love for the oceans that even surpassed my own. The man had a twinkle, a spark of curiosity that all great explorers possessed. He was not my boss, but my friend. Barry's life goal was to chart the bottom of the Marianas Trench, the deepest pit in the world. Every time we were together, it was the same old story. What do you think is at the bottom, he would ask me. Something new, I would always retort. One day, me and you, we're going to go down there. Of course, an expedition to the bottom of the ocean would cost huge sums of money which would simply bankrupt the company, but I knew Barry would be unable to rest until he got what he desired. It was a rainy afternoon. I was sitting in my office drinking a coffee and finishing up a report on a new species of starfish my team had discovered off the coast of Australia when Barry burst in. Lucas, it happened. By God, it's happened. Huh? The department accepted my request to fund our expedition. Our expedition to the bottom of the sea. The following months were spent preparing the submarine. It had to be perfect. That far underwater would put tons of water pressure on every square inch of the hull. I could hardly contain my excitement for what lay ahead. What kind of diverse life could exist that far below the waves? Only one expedition had ever been made before ours and it lasted less than 20 minutes. Our submarine was designed to be submerged for over 20 hours. Barry and I would be true modern-day pioneers. The Triton finished construction in less than two months, and by God, the thing was a tank. 40-inch thick walls left more interior space to be desired, but it was plenty of room to house just the two of us. The best flashlight many could buy was mounted on the bottom, illuminating whatever lied in front in dazzling white light. Two robotic arms were attached to either side, giving us the ability to grab whatever was lying there to meet us and document it. We submerged on the 12th of July. The excitement that boiled inside of me as we sank to the ocean completely pushed aside the nervousness that accompanied anyone facing the unknown. I could barely sit still as we sank further and further into the murky depths. We'll reach the bottom in less than ten minutes, Barry exclaimed. You have not experienced true darkness until you have been to the bottom of the ocean. Any traces of sunlight died out miles above us, leaving me and my partner in the utter blackness that is the deep sea. Even our fluorescent light had dimmed down to nothing but an orange glow. We could see less than 20 feet in front of us, but that did not stop Barry or I from getting straight to work. In less than 45 minutes, we had discovered over 32 species of deep sea fish, three types of crustaceans, and two types of octopi. It was marvelous. Never in my life had I had so much fun. The biology in the trench was so diverse and unique, 
I had never seen anything like it before. Barry and I were discussing our first hour of findings when we felt a jolt on the right side of our ship. It knocked us back several feet and sent me out of my chair and onto the floor. What was that? Are you okay? Barry screamed. Of course no one heard him. Along with the petrifying darkness came soundlessness. The world below was nigh and mute. It held a very disturbing vibe. I'm fine. What was that? I asked, pulling myself back onto my chair. Barry did not answer. A thick, long maroon tentacle did, slapping the front glass with a gut-wrenching meaty sound. What the hell? Barry cried out. The tentacle, which must have been 25 feet, wrapped the front of our machine like a fish caught by a squid. I was dumbfounded. Was it a giant squid? No. They don't live that deep underwater. It wasn't possible. It had to be something new. I sprang into action and took control of both of the robotic arms. I gripped the tentacle as firmly as the machine could and ripped it off furiously. Whatever it was attached to quickly scurried away. I very started, but didn't finish. We both knew that we had just discovered something. Something big. Let's follow it, I decided. The submarine turned in the direction that the thing went in. We followed a trail of half-eaten fish and overturned stones to something we both had not expected to see that deep. A spear. It was made from some kind of metal and looked almost new. This is freaky, Barry stated. We followed the trail further, neither of us wanting to give up on what could be the biggest discovery of the decade. But then it happened again, harder. The familiar jolt and thudding sound this time knocked us both out of our chairs. Jesus, I cried. Then it came again. Another thud from the opposite side of our cramped ship. Then another, and another, and another. They happened rapid fire, hit after hit. I felt like I was stuck in an intense game of Pong. Then we saw it. An unintelligible mass moving slowly toward us from the thick blanket of darkness, edging closer and closer every minute. It was not a squid coming towards us, nor was it an octopus. It was a monster. It had the face of a human, if humans lived at the bottom of the ocean. Huge, glades, solid black eyes dominated the monster's menacing face. Gills pocketed its neck, appearing to be slashes made by a knife. Elongated arms that extended from the bony sides of the creature and ended in pale, webbed hands, with inch-long claws jutting out from its grotesque fingers. It had fins, too. Where its hair should have been, and on its forearms, the most disturbing part of the monster was below the torso. Where its legs should have been was instead a mass of thick tentacles that wriggled and squirmed around like worms in a bucket. It clutched its spear firmly as it opened its mouth, revealing several rows of needle-like teeth. Nothing escaped its mouth except a deafening screech that could be nothing more than a war call. Instantly, the thudding began again, but this time faster and much more furiously. 
The creature that we did see whipped its spear at our windshield, rattling it uneasily, giving the impression that while strong, it was not impervious to damage. We have to get the hell out of here, I heard Barry shout. I once again grabbed the joysticks that controlled the arms of our vessel. I swatted crazily at the pack of devils that surrounded us, but it was hopeless. One of them grabbed the left arm with its jagged teeth and ripped it off like it was chicken on a bone. These creatures were strong, intelligent, and out for blood. Another ripped the arm off as the spear ricocheted off the glass again. We were in trouble. We were at their mercy as they teamed up on us like a pack of wolves. Pull her up, cried Barry. I jumped into gear. As much as I loved the sea, I refused to die down there in that metallic coffin. I shifted our propellers downward and shot our submarine up as fast as a damn thing could go. The mer-demons gave chase. They didn't want us to leave. I counted thirteen more spear hits before we were out of the trench and desperately radioing in for extraction. We waited at the surface of the water in the Triton for less than five minutes before the helicopter came. I guess they heard the desperation in our voices. It hovered above our heads and released the rope ladder for us to climb to our escape, away from that watery hell. I hopped on first and began my ascent up. Barry began to climb after me when suddenly an all-too-familiar tentacle burst from the surface, wrapping around his leg firmly. Before I could even scream, he was below the waves and out of reach. There was nothing I could do. Barry's life had been claimed by what he loved the very most, the ocean. I did not just lose my friend on that dreadful day. I lost my passion. It has turned into an undying fear of water. I can hardly take a bath without the thought of a dreaded tentacle bursting through the drain and finishing the job, dragging me back down to the depths. I will never return to the ocean. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As legend goes, to become a skinwalker, you must attain priesthood, and then kill a member of your own family. Then, and only then, can you gain the powers to shapeshift. Then, and only then, are you a true skinwalker. According to local folklore, a man had done just that. An Indian priest had supposedly not only killed one, but five immediate members of his family. They never caught this man. He disappeared into the woods, never to be seen again. When Jason and Alex set out for their camping trip, they knew all of the old legends. 
and they laughed at the idea that a skinwalker would come and get them if they trespassed on the old Indian land, the same land that the supposed murders had taken place. And why should they believe the legends? A man becoming a beast was probably the most ridiculous thing imaginable. Jason and Alex were brothers. They spent their entire lives together until Jason had gotten married. Then Jason moved away and started a family. But not Alex. Alex stayed in their hometown, tending to their parents, making an honest living off the land, and tried to be a good person. And Alex had succeeded at this. He hadn't broken a commandment in years and was well on his way to heaven. Three years had passed between their last get-together, and three more might have passed if Alex didn't insist on a camping trip. But insist he did, and there they were. It was getting dark, and the two of them were laying out under the stars. They were deep in the woods, and they had no GPS or maps, but they knew the path back from where they were. They had gone there as kids. Never know. Huh? Alex replied. He only caught bits and pieces sometimes. We can never let Dad know, Jason reiterated. Know what? That we stayed on the old Indian land past dark. We promised him as kids, and I wouldn't want to upset him now. He's getting pretty close to dead, and if we started an argument now, we may not resolve it in time for, you know. Just don't tell him, okay? Or Ma. Okay, no problem. They both were silent for a while, until up creeped a small raccoon. Well, look at that, Alex called as he pointed towards the critter. It stared at them for several minutes, not moving, not attempting to flee when they motioned towards it. It stayed almost perfectly still, and then it finally left. Minutes later came a deer. Again, the creature stayed and watched them. Unwavering determination glared in its eyes. For about two hours, the duo was kept awake as every animal they knew to live in the forest, and some they were almost sure didn't inhabit the area, came to gaze upon them. The final animal was a gray wolf. It slowly moved towards them, and when it was five feet away, it stopped. Don't move. Don't panic. It'll go, Jason assured Alex. The wolf slowly stood onto its hind legs, and then its limbs began to contort and pop. Horror slid over Jason and Alex's faces as they saw the fur tear open, revealing light brown flesh underneath. Finally, they gazed upon what looked like a man with a wolf head. The skull of the wolf split open like a melon, the fur sliding off of it, the bone chipping and falling like a fragile eggshell. And in its place slowly grew out the head of a man. The man now stood before the paralyzed brothers. They couldn't seem to move. This is my land, said the man, with an almost supernatural smile. Now, now, mister, I'm going to have to ask you to go, Alex trailed off. Get the hell away from us, Jason said as fiercely as he could. The man began to laugh, and as he continued to laugh, the pitch changed. It grew deeper from that of a man to that of a demon, and soon it sounded as if Satan himself was bellowing out at them. 
The man's skin grew black as coal, and his eyes yellow like a cat's. His demonic laughter echoed through the forest as he grew closer and closer. The brothers being unarmed, they had no choice other than to flee. And that's what they did. They ran as fast as they could, except instead of out to their cars, they were cornered into running deeper into the woods. For hours they seemed to play cat and mouse. Several times animals they passed would burst open into a grotesque manner, revealing the deranged man, but they continued to run. Finally, reaching a cabin, they ducked inside. They were filled with fear, and the brothers felt that leaving the cabin would end in their deaths. What they found in the cabin made them regret their ignorance on legends, for in the main bedroom off the cabin were corpses, at least a hundred of them. Every animal they had seen that night was there, along with some larger bodies, some human bodies. It was then that the man burst into the room, except he was once more a wolf. In his deep voice, he snickered out, Welcome home. The following week, the authorities found the cabin during their search for Jason and Alex. Both brothers' faces looked as if they were eaten by an animal of some sort. Six days later, a security camera several states over caught Alex filling up a car with gas. Several eyewitnesses also reported seeing the dead man. On nearly all accounts, he was seen smiling a wide, toothy, unnatural grin. Indian Skinwalker I like the desert at night. They say it's dangerous to be out here, but I like it. It's good to sit by a campfire and drink a beer out here where there isn't any noise or traffic. You can see all the stars because there aren't any electric lights to chase them away. Sometimes the wind sings to you, but then somebody usually comes along and messes it up. Somehow. Mostly it's drunks who want to beat you up because you're from the reservation. So when I heard the pebbles shifting somewhere off to my left, the hairs on my back of my neck started to tingle, and my hand inched a little closer to my bowie knife. The figure that came walking out of the darkness didn't look very threatening. Just an old man wearing traditional Navajo clothing and leaning on a crooked walking stick as he shuffled quietly towards me. Getting cold, came the old man's voice, dry as the desert. I expected him to say more, but instead he just sat down across from the campfire from me, laying the walking stick casually across his lap. There was something about him that made me uneasy, and my apprehension increased when his hand vanished into a leather pouch that hung from his belt. But he pulled forth only a crumpled pack of cigarettes, holding them slightly towards me. Smoke? Sure, I replied as my nerves began to relax. When he tossed me the pack, I noticed there were only two cigarettes left inside. I took one and tossed the pack back to him. I held my crumb zippo towards him, but instead he took a wooden match from behind his ear, scraping it against a small gray rock that dangled from a leather cord worn around his neck. The sudden flare of light illuminated his ancient weathered face, and his eyes seemed to sparkle eerily for a moment. Then he sat smoking silently. Dangerous out here at night, you know, he spoke softly after a while. 
Lots of things come out at night, even things nobody believes in anymore. They still come around sometimes, I smiled a little. You mean ghosts and goblins? Maybe ghosts, he answered after considering it for a moment. Not goblins, I don't think. Not even sure what a goblin is. But there are other things, too. Things like the skinwalkers. You know about them? A sudden chill ran the length of my spine as the old man studied me quietly. Mom used to tell me stories about them when I was little, I mumbled. Then you know what can happen, said the old man. They take the shape of a man and wear the skin of a man, but they're really more like an animal underneath. They have powers, too. Folks used to say that only a shaman could defeat them. He turned his attention to the campfire. His image seemed to ripple behind the waves of heat rising from the flames. Embers danced around him like angry red fairies. Lots of other things out here, too, he continued. The Wendigo, the Chupacabra, all sorts of things. They don't come around here much anymore, but sometimes they do. Silence settled over us like a damp woolen blanket, the campfire seeming to begrudge us what little heat it was providing. The stars twinkling above seemed suddenly to be laughing silently, sharing some sinister joke among themselves. The thin slice of moon sank behind a lone cloud bank, as though unwilling to witness whatever might transpire. The beasts attacked us without warning. I felt claws sinking into my back as a great weight fell upon me. Then it was gone, and I rose to see the old man falling backwards. Whatever was on top of him wasn't visible, but I could see jagged rips appearing in his clothing and in his flesh. Then suddenly he was thrusting the walking stick upward, and there was a terrible screeching sound. The creature fell backwards into the fire and became visible as it writhed in the flames. I can't really describe it. Imagine a pale white maggot, taller than a man. Its bloated, mushy body bristling with claw-like barbs, something like a mouth at one end, with rows of shark-like teeth lining the inside. A clump of black eyes that seemed completely lifeless as it rose from the fire and again hurled itself towards the old man. I'm not a hero. My brain was screaming for me to get out of there, to just run, run anywhere, to just get away. But then I heard the old man's screams, and I saw the empty cigarette pack lying crumpled on the ground, and something inside me stopped shaking and started getting angry instead. I tore away my clothes and then tore away my skin as well, revealing my true form. I was springing towards the ugly monstrosity before I really had time to think about it, which is probably just as well. As I struggled with the creature, attacking savagely with my own teeth and claws, I caught a glimpse of the old man rising weakly to his feet. His walking stick was beginning to glow faintly, casting an eerie green light upon him as he moved forwards. He plunged the stick deep into the creature's side. The thing stopped biting at my face and made that deafening screeching sound again, 
but this time it didn't stop screeching for a long time. I'm not sure if it died or just went someplace else when it faded from view. I hope it died. The old man reached down to recover his walking stick from where it had fallen, watching me carefully. It's difficult for me to speak when I'm in my true form, but I can manage if I concentrate. What was it? I managed to ask. No idea, he answered with a puzzled frown. We stood staring at each other for a moment. You gonna need a new shirt, I pronounced quietly, pointing a talon at his torn and ruined clothing. That's nothing, he chuckled. You're gonna need new skin. But then his smile faded, his grip tightening on the walking stick as he steadied me in the campfire's flickering light. You can relax, I lisped. Shaman skin won't work on me. His eyes drifted uncertainly to his walking stick. Still, he said softly. I'm supposed to try to destroy you. Yep, I hissed. Same here, old man. We continued staring uneasily at each other for a moment longer. Then the old man's smile slowly returned. Crazy world, ain't it? Crazy world, I agreed. As he turned to go, I glanced around and saw the shredded remains of my jacket, snagging it with a claw. I turned back toward the old man, shuffling away into the darkness. Hey, Pops, I called quietly, tossing him the fresh pack of cigarettes that had been in my jacket pocket. I think I managed something like a human smile. He nodded thanks and then vanished into the desert night. I sat back down beside my campfire. A million stars twinkled overhead. They say it's dangerous being out here alone in the desert, but I like it. Sometimes the wind sings to you, and all you can do is sing back. Hey, it's Spooky Boo. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that story, head on over to my website at www.scarystorytime.com and leave a comment. Also, I'd love to hear your scary stories. Send me a story by submitting it to my webpage at scarystorytime.com and I'll read it to everybody on the podcast. I'm going to head on over and watch Creature Features now. I'd love it if you join me at www.creaturefeatures.tv. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.